What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the BSP Podcast. And this is going to be a little bit of a different one here. We got a special guest with us, you know, because guess what? We're par, we're dimple heads here. We're parverts. The Masters just wrapped up this weekend. I had to get a good buddy of mine. Man, he's working for the PGA Tour now. My boy, Andrew Snyder. Andrew, how we doing, pal? Doing fantastic, man. Doing fantastic. Yeah, it was a great weekend of golf for sure. I was glued. It was a fun one. You know, it was a two horse race for a while there, but it was awesome on Sunday to see so many guys in contention, you know, especially given it was, it was sort of a different masters. You had uh, a beautiful day on Thursday, a lot of low scores coming in, a guy shooting in the mid sixties for the most part, especially your leaders kept on fire first couple of rounds. Um, and then you had that sort of storm that rolled through um, a couple of delays of play and it kind of allowed everybody to, have a reset and then make a charge on Sunday. So it was a great weekend of golf for sure. Yeah. Um, so we got, we got Andrew here, right? He just gave you a little bit of that dry, nice cookie cutter answers. That's not the boy I know. That's not the man <laughs> I know. We've spent many of days and nights abroad and locally hanging out, having fun. But I bet you that's what you did a little bit this weekend, having a good time with it. one of the biggest events for golf during the year. But as you said it, there was a lot of awesome things that happened. Obviously, I'm not a huge golf guy. I'm trying to get into it. Just bought some clubs. We'll see how it goes. Might play 18 tomorrow after work before I go to the Phillies game. Well, actually, that'll be today. It's coming out on uh, Tuesday here. I'll be at Dollar Dog Night, uh, Section 202. Hit me up on uh, you know Instagram or Twitter. I want to I challenge anybody in a hot dog eating contest. If you're there, feel free to hit me up. We'll see you can eat a dog the fastest, all right? So we'll have some fun with it, but yeah, Andrew, the, the biggest thing. Sorry if I if I get your your nickname in there too. So the, everybody just kind of oh, roll with us here. Ahead. Have yeah, it. yeah, we'll just roll with it. It'll just probably just roll off the tongue anyway. But yeah, there's so many different storylines. You had the big rain come through, but I think the biggest thing was that there were a lot of guys that were in contention that were floating around maybe being able to within striking distance to make a run. And you saw a guy like Phil Mickelson make a bit of a run, but you had guys like, you know, Cam Young, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Victor Hovland, uh, Patrick Reed, Russell Henley. Like they, all these guys were kind of floating around Brooks and, and um, our boy, John Rahm, but all those guys kind of faltered on that Sunday afternoon. And even Brooks who had a two stroke lead heading into the, or four stroke lead heading into the day, they all kind of faltered. John shot through, played well. All he had to do was coast the rest of the day. What do you kind of make of that? Was it just the inexperience and Rom just kind of was able to run with it? No, I mean, Kepka's won four majors, right? So he knows how to win. Um, yeah. I just think those live guys, they forgot how to win a real golf tournament. I mean, it's one of those there things you where, you know, Playing in a live tournament in front of 50 people is it's not going to cut it when you get to master Sunday at Augusta and the entire world is on your shoulders. And you could tell, I mean, you could tell physically and mentally Kevka was beaten by Rom up and down the course for, you know, I think they played between the, the rest of the third round and the, obviously the Sunday round, they played 29 holes as a pairing, which is ridiculous to have somebody looking over your shoulder for eight hours and hunting you down the entire day. And Rom, it's his second major. He's still less than 30. And I have no problem saying that he'll probably win at least four or five more majors, you know, when his career is all said and done. But yeah, as, as to what you said, going back to live, I mean, it was, 
in my heart, working for the tour, I wanted nothing more than to watch Kepka choke, and it happened, and I was happy. Um, and having Rom win, who is quickly becoming one of the faces of the PGA Tour, was awesome. Um, he's a model individual compared to somebody like Phil Mickelson. Um, and I have some choice words for him. Um, do we have to keep it clean here? Or <laughs> uh, you can go. We can keep it within reason. So he's he is what some people would call a dick. And, you know, for the most part, it beca- it's because he's been trashing the PGA Tour as soon as he left. And that's, I mean, it's the tour that made him, right? He, there is no Phil Mickelson without the PGA Tour. He doesn't become anything without it. He leaves. He tries to justify some atrocities from a Saudi-backed league and then comes in here. And I'm not going to deny that he played well, but it was nice to see him come up short. And, I mean, you could say the same thing about the cheater and Patrick Reed. He's a notorious cheater. Um, going down a little bit farther, um, you really only have three live guys in contention. And those three live guys were, would have been in contention at any point in time because they are all, uh, with the exception of Kepka, Masters champions. Patrick Reed has won. Mickelson's won three. But I think you could see in terms of the strength that PJ Tour hasn't lost much. Um, I mean, Mickelson is on the back three of his career, not even the back nine. He's almost done. His hair is gone. He's out. You have Kepka, who you could see in the last round. Um, probably, I want to say, when the gap got close to two strokes, you could tell he lost it. And Rom, I mean, when you smell blood in the water as a PGA Tour golfer, you got to seize the opportunity. He definitely – he didn't have to play exceptional. He just had to play good enough. And he had to play good enough to keep putting pressure on Kepka, who, I mean, there's no denying it. I mean, when you're up – I think he was up six strokes on the field at one point. He choked it away. He choked it away, and I, I don't know. Did you watch Full Swing at all? Did you watch the Netflix series? I, I watched a couple episodes. I didn't get to watch too much of it. So but... he, uh, in the Full Swing series, he goes, I couldn't even tell you who won the Masters last year. Yeah. He goes, but I know that I'm going to win it next year. And so – He was pretty damn close. Was, I mean, he got close, but I'm pretty like – Pretty damn you know, close. As close as almost sure. you can get. <laughs> there's some. There's something to be said for getting a little dose of humble pie. Um. And seeing that you have guys that are just, I mean, Ram is just a flat out better golfer. Uh, he's got more guts. He's got more metal. He's got a better game. Um, and to say that Liv can compete with the PGA Tour after watching the Masters, I don't think, I, I just think, because when you look at the leaderboard, how many guys on that leaderboard on the PGA Tour are under 30 years old? A, a solid majority. Thagala, Hovland is 25. Thagala is 24. Scheffler, Fitzpatrick. Uh, you go up and then you go up the board. Rom is under 20. Henley's a young stud. Uh, Cam Young is hitting the ball 400 yards off the tee like a monster. Um, they have there's just too much talent in that league to say that Liv is even going to sniff them as far as the competitiveness goes. Yeah, it's interesting because I wanted to feel out where your where your thoughts were with that Liv here. Hate him. Because uh, you know me, I'm an agent of chaos. I like to stir it up a little bit. Do you think any of that had? All, any of that beef from, you know, from this full swing show from everything where, you know, Phil leaves and was stirring it up a bit. Rory was a big backer who didn't even, uh, he didn't even make the cut. I don't think. Right. Nope. Nah, he, he didn't play well from jump street, which was kind of sad. Um, but I think, I mean, everybody has a bad tournament. Don't come I mean, McElroy in last year's masters had the best round of the tournament. Um, so he's capable, you know, he's obviously won majors before. But uh, it would have been nice, I'm not going to lie, to see sort of a either a Cam Smith, you know, who 
was probably of everybody that left the most talented of the live golfers. Um, you know, he, he makes 200 million up front. Um, but something here, uh, actually sort of a side story, not to derail, but Kepka has evidently expressed interest in getting out of his contract already with the live golf tour. So what that tells me is something's not right with live. It tells me that the, something with that model is not working out because if somebody handed me $130 million, I'd probably want to stick it out for a little bit. But if it tells you, it tells you what, uh, what those guys think of sort of the decisions that they've made. Yeah. Just from like the outsider perspective, kind of watching, you know, I'm a Brooks guy, big part of my take guy. So he's on all the time there. And, his attitude when it comes to it golf-wise is kind of something I get behind a little bit where he's just like, yeah, you know, I go out, I compete. I, if I win, I win. I'm, the, I'm always trying to win. But uh, if uh, it's a, not a big event, I kind of – it is what it is. And I think him playing in the Masters again in a big stage where every shot mattered, it kind of left a, a sting and, you know, it, it really burned him up where he was just like, I should have I should have won this. You know, like it was good to feel that pressure again where you're, you know, you're saying that the live tour where it's kind of everybody's getting that money almost guaranteed where it's just where you kind of get it. If you win here, if you win there and you're not playing as much, I agree with you where if you get that money, I would stick it out and finish it. But I think it's the competitor in him and in some of these guys where the big stages matter for these guys. When it comes down to it as an athlete, as a competitor, the big stage matter and he choked on the biggest one. And I think that's kind of where it's kind of getting underneath of his skin a little bit, where maybe he thinks about it again. Good. Would you, would you think the PGA would welcome these guys back with open arms? Or you think they'd make them have to earn it a little bit more? Because I was a little surprised the masters let these guys back in, to be honest with you, at least for this, where none of the other events were letting them in. So, I mean, where, where do you think yeah. that kind of all plays out moving forward? Well, the masters is, uh, it's unique in that, it's one of the tournaments where the field is. They do the whatever they want. They control everything. Yep. The broadcast. You, you have to it, say patrons, patrons, not fans. You can't have your phone. Like, can't, run, can't use your phone. Uh, all kinds of stuff. Can't wear certain colors. Yeah, it's a whole bit. But they, uh, the difference is it's it's selection by committee. So that's what allowed those live guys to get in. The field is determined by the master's committee, which is composed of, I don't know how many members. It's a, And they're not even all like former PGA tour pros are just random people that have influence. So that, that answers that question. But as far as like where it leaves the PGA or PGA tour in terms of what they're going to do uh, with these live guys, uh, with Jay Monahan, and, and I don't want to speak to it too much because I don't want to put words in his mouth. He's technically my boss, but um, he made it very clear you know. that um, it would be one of those things where, uh, if you make your decision, you make your decision. And the PGA Tour came back with a better product for their golfers. I don't know if you noticed the prize money has been doubled for a lot of these events to attract the best golfers in the world to come play these events. And going back to what you had mentioned about Kepka choking it away, it proves that you cannot simulate that sort of environment unless you play in the PGA Tour flat out. I mean, even if you're not playing in the Masters. For, for instance, I attended the Players' Championship back in March. And even that environment, I mean, there's nothing I've, I've seen live golf events. I've watched them on YouTube. You know, the difference is like one, their, their TV contract is with CW 
And I don't know if you know CW, but it's not really your typical sports conglomerate for TV. So they can't get the TV deal. They can't get the fans. There's nothing that can recreate a true PGA Tour event that these guys have been playing. And look, I'll go back to this. I probably, being, being a normal human being, if somebody offered me that much money, I would take it. But on the backside of it, the PGA Tour made it very clear that it's not going to be welcome home with open arms if you decide that you don't want to do this anymore because it was a damage to the game to leave and sort of um, to fracture the sport. So it's their fault. I mean, you make a decision like that, you deal with the consequences. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to answer a little bit of can you recreate that, right? I think you can. And I think it, the biggest thing is the way you do that is through time, right? A lot of people, we're going to get to baseball in a couple minutes here, but, you know, with the World Baseball Classic, oh, it doesn't mean anything, blah, blah, blah. There's no history behind it. What makes the master so great is the history behind it. PGA Tour, the history behind it. Uh, that's what makes sports and things so great is the history, the time, everything behind it. And it, that's what the live golf needs. I just don't think with the money they're shelling out, they're not going to be able to keep up and be able to have this thing grow with the amount of time that it needs to be able to grow where you've seen things like the XFL and other sports leagues try to hop into the markets of these other professional leagues and they just don't have the the money. Well, maybe these Saudi guys have the money even though they don't care, but the, the time and the patience for these big-time golfers to be able to grow something special over there. And I, I, I agree with you. It's going to be interesting because it's, it's such a, a big giant figure. I just love seeing not pettiness, but a little bit from here and there, but in a game like golf, where it's so individualized and it's so like clean and proper, but it's nice to see guys get a little nitty gritty, talk some trash to each other, get mad and just see kind of the hatred that can build up with the storylines that you can kind of get from having competing things where you really haven't had that in a couple of years. I mean, it was Phil and Tiger, right? In the mid two thousands. But other than that, what really has been the big thing for the PGA tour that's really drawn numbers greatly. Right. I mean, there really hasn't been anything too crazy. Rory was coming up and he was a big storyline, but he kind of faded off the past five or so years. So, I mean, honestly, I think the PGA tour should be thanking Liv for giving this another little resurgence, a bump and a kickback into golf that was kind of going stale. They need these storylines and it's helped out. I would say, I would agree with you there. I mean, I think the live has without trying to help the PGA tour. Yeah. I mean, if you think about golf in general, how much has it grown? I mean, between that and I mean, we, you and I both are aware of rugby as a fast growing team sport, fastest growing individual sport is golf without a doubt. Um, it's more accessible both to the average person and to anybody that wants to watch TV. There's so many more ways to watch it now. It's live. I would say, if anything, has shown the PGA of kind of where the holes are uh, and where they need to make fixes. And I can tell you, I mean, prize money is one thing, but I agree with you there. I mean, the, the game could probably use a little bit more personality to it um, in the same way that, you know, we'll get into baseball, but same thing. Um, it's a great sport. I could sit there and watch golf all day. However, it is nice to have sort of the, and I think the NBA has perfected this and the NFL as well, creating personalities and characters within the game. You know, golf is, it's getting there. I mean, I think you see um, certain guys a little bit that are a little bit fiery 
that are coming in, Ron being one of them. I mean, that dude, when he is chasing the lead, there's nothing like it. And they were, you know, he, um, it's interesting, you know, uh, when it comes to live, it's not so much that they had the personality, but they, you know, their motto was, you know, golf, but louder. It's tough to be loud when nobody goes to the events. But um, aside from that, I would say they, they've done a good job of showing the PGA Tour, like I said, what they need to kind of patch up, uh, which would be prim and proper is not going to work with our generation, I don't think. No. You know, it's it, people want excitement. People want personality. They want drama. Because if you're consuming content, think about how many more options there are, how many more things you can watch. Um, it's one of those things where I think you'll see it in like three years as the rules start to loosen up about what you can wear and what you can do and what you can say. And you'll see, I mean, I think if you watch, like if you watch full swing, if you ever get that chance, um, the, yeah, the last line is F you Phil Mickelson. And that comes from Rory McIlroy straight up. So you got guys, they're starting to understand that. Okay. Well, you know, if they're going to do this, then we're going to hit back harder. And I think it's a good thing. I think it's a really good thing. Yeah. And guys like Brooks, I like are kind of guys. Some people gravitate, gravitate towards where it's just like, I'm just going out there and playing the game. Like I'll black out from, you know, holes five to 11 where I'm just kind of like, it gets a little boring for them, even though guys at the top level and you see guys like Max Homa, who's finally bringing some attitude into it and being able to joke and roast people and have fun with it. And who was the one guy in full swing? I didn't get to watch the whole thing yet, but mm-hmm. uh, he was out there drinking, right? And like his best rounds when he's just like blacked out drunk. Now, I mean, obviously you can't be doing that in a PGA event, but you know, just bringing that life a little bit, like behind the scenes of what guys are actually like, where you're out on the course, just like regular guys having fun. Like, I feel like that's some stuff that they can definitely bring to not the forefront, but you know, some side stuff for people that'd be like, Hey, we're normal people too. We're just out there. We're just a little bit better at making our putts than you guys. Well, yeah. And um, PGA tour entertainment uh, as a side note is building the, the largest entertainment facility golf has ever seen. So they are prepping for more golf on TV, more access to players, things that you just because golf before was like, oh, yeah, I see. I, you know, I see Tiger on Sunday, but Tiger was one of those guys where like not only was he talking smack, but he was in your face. He was on commercials. He was a brand, I think, with golf. And you can t- you can see that with the NFL. Right. I mean, you have guys with huge personalities that play the game right and it makes it more entertaining to watch when you know about those one-on-one rivalries. I think that, and to mention your, your point, it was John Daly. So John Daly used to get, nah, not Daly, not Daly. It was another guy. He's younger. Yeah. Young. Uh, there's well, Joel Damon is interesting in that he, uh, that? yeah, he, he's kind of what I think the PGA tour needs a little bit more of, um, you know, he's not afraid to go out there and have a great time. And even if he's not playing the best, you know that he's out there killing it. And the sound bites from him in the middle of the round are exceptional. So when you have that, I think they just need more of it. And and going back to what I was saying, I think they need a John Daly. I think they need a guy who's going to show emotion out on the course, who's going to wear his emotions on his sleeves. Because there's, it is a professional game. You got to be professional in any sport. You have to be considerate of the fans. But I don't see anything wrong with, drop you know dropping an f-bomb here and there and you know if you everybody shanks one pga tour guys shank one hit yeah. one in the water 
slam your club, do something, show me that it matters as opposed to trying to keep like, don't, you don't have to hold back. You know, when a guy scores a touchdown in the NFL, are they holding back? No, they're doing a slam dunk on the field goal post and screaming and throwing the football because that's what makes fans want to watch the game. What makes it so relatable is when they do shake that, right? They have, they're able to compose themselves after the fact, be able to make that next one. And that's what gets, people to that next level is being able to bounce back from that struggle and then show the emotion. Like, yes, I just did that after I just was terrible. So it'll be interesting to see for sure. For sure. I think one of the things that they can implement and um, not to get too far away from the masters, but baseball has done a good job, not a great job, but a good job of giving you more access to players with the mic'd up. I think, imagine if you could hear what a PGA tour player is thinking and then if they execute it, you're like, how the hell did they do that? Um, and it's interesting. They have some caddy player conversations, but you don't, I don't want, I don't want the, the fluffed up version. I want you to tell me well, how you feel after you hit a shot. Like, why don't they, why don't they put a camera? Not, I don't want, I don't want to say stick a camera on somebody's face, but why not put a microphone to a guy after he plays a hole? Why wait till after the round? Yeah. You walk know, into the next one. Hey, how about that shot right there? You know, what was, what was going through your mind approaching the green? What, what were you trying to aim for where they like chip one in from about 50 yards out? Just get that yeah. raw emotion. Yeah. Yeah. Or, you know, ask them, ask them, uh, because if you, you're never going to be more pumped up full of adrenaline and emotional than when you're in the middle of an event. So I would have given anything after Kepka bo- bogeys, I think it was it went, one on the back nine. It was when, when he was really crumbling, um, which was, again, fun for me to see. Uh, because I'm not a Brooks fan. I think he's a douche. But if there was ever a time where you could get a, a, a real soundbite, it would be there. Hey, how's, how's it feel to choke this one away, dude? How's, how's it feel to how's it feel to put that one in the rough? It, did it look like how did it feel off the club face? And then he throws you in the water. Yeah, <laughs> right. I mean, he's huge. I wouldn't say it to his face. But if um, if you have that, I mean, I, I think you'll get a better sort of glimpse into what these guys are really like and full swing did do a pretty good job of that um showing you kind of like sort of who who is your who's your douchebag of the of the tour who is your who are your good guys who is your a consummate professional there's a there's a place in the game for all that you think about the nfl right peyton manning the sheriff right consummate professional tom brady consummate professional then you have some nut jobs Right. Then you have guys like Randy Moss doing crazy things like the golf needs a mixed bag. You can't have everybody be sort of uniform and how they act and think. And there's I think golf is starting to realize that they're starting to figure out that it's for people that don't necessarily understand the game of golf to a T, not to make a pun. But um, if they don't if you're not watching the game because you care about how a guy can draw the golf ball or how what his putting stroke looks like. You're watching it because you want to see some entertainment. You want to see the roar, the crowd roar. You want to see that. And actually, I think the Waste Management Open, I don't know if you watched that this year, it's a gigantic party. It's an absolute party, guys. And last year, guys were taking their shirts off after they drained a putt. You know, it, it, there's beer flying all over the place. Golf is a fun sport. I just think they need to get rid of the country club sort of atmosphere. Get rid of that. That doesn't it, – it's okay. But for somebody that doesn't want to drop 50 G's on a country club membership, they're not, they don't care about that. They, they, they're out there, they're drinking beer, you know, listening to music with their buddies playing 18 on a Saturday. 
golf needs a little bit more of that. Uh, and I think live not to go, not to talk about them too much, but that's something that they've kind of put in the PGA tours ear. Now, again, they're backed by Saudi blood money. So, I mean, it is what it is, right? You can't justify anything that they're really doing, but the one thing that they've done well is give the PGA tour a dose of reality, which is the old guard kind of has to roll out. Right. And I actually think guys like Tiger have done a much better job about ushering in a new generation. You think about everything that he's doing to grow the game, um, making it more accessible to people that didn't grow up in a country club atmosphere. I think you'll start to see more personalities on tour. Guys that grew up normal, that were just really good athletes, super competitive, great personalities that chose golf because of the way that it's growing, um, as opposed to before, where it was really only limited to guys that had money, to be honest. Yeah. It's interesting. But yeah, now, my, my biggest thing, man, I feel like we wrapped up golf pretty well there, right? I mean, it was a big weekend for the Masters, some things moving forward here. People getting out now, probably. I know I am getting into that golf itch a little bit as it's starting to warm up around the Philadelphia area. You're down in Florida now. So I, it'll be fun to see for sure as this game grows because, you know, there's a lot of things that need not only needs, but, you know, will be changed, it seems like, moving uh, forward for the better. And let's move into something else. You know, we both worked in, and played baseball for a long, long time now. There's been a lot of rule changes implemented over this past season here. We're a couple weeks in. I've been kind of waiting to talk about it and feel it out. The pitch clock, The there's a lot, you know, the disengagements for the pitchers. What are our first initial reactions? And then I'll kind of see where you're at and tell you how you're right or you're wrong. Sure. So I actually got to see it um, before the MLB season. Oh, yeah. While you were working at in the minors, right? Well, actually, so my brother uh, plays at the Division One level for college baseball and they implemented it and college starts a little bit sooner. So I saw it in action at a college game. Um, I think one aspect of it is stupid and I think one aspect of it makes sense. One would be, yes, the pace of play at the professional level needs to pick up. If you watch a college game, they were going fast anyway because there's no walk-up songs. I mean, there is, but it's not a 45-second walk-up. It is not as much time in between pitches. There's not advertisements flashed around the stadium to take time in between pitches, right? Um, so I'm, I'm actually okay with the pitch clock. Um, I think it kind of – it ushers the game along. Um, it allows for more offense, not because guys are hitting better. It's because – they have a better idea of what's coming when there's only a limited amount of time. Because one of the things is if you're a pitcher and you're running out of time, you have a go-to pitch that you're going to throw. If you get to two seconds, one second, you have a pitch. You've already determined with your catcher, this is what's coming if we run out of time. So it's going to generate more offense. I think the dumb part of it is pitch calm, uh, putting something in the pitcher's ear that can malfunction. We already saw it once with really? a couple of the games. Yeah, it's it's a monitor that tells the pitcher if they're running out of time, essentially. And it also uh, they do not do signs anymore as they once did. Now, everything is essentially a it's a guard on the catcher's wrist and then it's a guard on the pitcher's wrist. And, you know, in, it, it sends sort of a signal to the pitcher about what they're going to throw. Problem with that is if it malfunctions, which it has three or four times already, it slows the game down. So I don't. I don't love the idea of making baseball into a video game. I, I do like the idea of speeding up the game. They've done some good things there about limiting um, the amount of time in between pitches, but there's, the, I think 
because it's the first year, there's things that they have to iron out. So you can't expect perfection right away, but you're already hearing guys complain. Like he goes, all oh, this equipment is stupid. Just give me the clock. I'll throw it on time. You know, I don't think that there's a need for all of this stuff. And it, it was interesting uh, um, on Sunday night baseball, a couple, it, it, it malfunctioned while uh, Rob Manfred was in the booth. And yeah, so they're yeah. like, well, what do you think about that? And he's like, well, you know, blah, blah, blah. Is your biggest thing with it that it just doesn't, it doesn't always work all the time? Or do you like the idea of the fact that you can just go, you know, instead of throwing down three, four signs, you just press it and it's no shake. And a lot of the times you saw like Max Scherzer kind of have it on the inside of his glove. He just presses what he wants for the pitchers more call in the game. Now, is it just the fact that it's just not as reliable right now? Are you a fan of a pitcher being able to just to call the game himself? Yeah, as as a as somebody who pitched for a long time, um, and just growing up around the game, yeah, pitchers, most major league pitchers are, especially a guy like Scherzer who's earned the right to. Well, he's a Hall of Famer, um, and most guys at the major league level have earned the right to call their own game. Now, in baseball, typically the sign comes from the pitching coach to the catcher to the pitcher, and it's all through signs. Um, I don't see any real time benefit from sending a signal from one person to another person to another. It may actually be more inefficient because in baseball, you're so in tune with what's going on. It's boom, boom, boom. Sign is in, sign is given, shake. Okay, no. Okay, go. So I get it. Um, I think it's a huge advantage to the hitters because they already they have a better idea of what's coming because the pitcher does not have the time to sit there and think, okay, well, based on his last swing, this is what I want to do, or based on the way that he made contact with my last pitch, this is what I want to do, or based on the last at bat, you know, this is the pitch I want to throw. It it kind of takes some control out of the pitcher's hands, I think, um, so to speak. And I'm not a huge fan of, of the beacon and the monitor. See, my biggest thing, I'm on the other side of it, where if you're a hitter, you got to get back in that box with eight seconds left, right? You don't have that time to step out, think about, okay, he just threw me a fastball up and in, right? Maybe he'll go to that curveball low and away. Maybe he comes in with a changeup in on my hands. Like, they don't have that time to really think about that anymore. I I think it's more in the power of the pitcher where he can go grip it, rip it. I know where I'm going with it. Yeah, I would say sort of a compromise between the two. Um, just don't do it in the postseason. I just think that in an atmosphere like that, you have to allow the pressure to mount. You have to allow the things that make baseball great happen. And one of those things, if you watch playoff baseball, it's the anticipation that keeps people, you're locked in every pitch. It gives everybody a chance. And if you're just rushing, if if, if a playoff game takes two hours, I mean, it's not going to have the same feel. It's almost like if you told a golfer, uh, you, you get a certain, I mean, in golf, yeah, you have a pace of play, but it's like, oh, you got 10 seconds to hit the ball. Well, I'm not ready. Well, it's 10 seconds anyway. And if you're in a playoff atmosphere with that much on the line, and there, whether it's an equipment malfunction or a, or a pitcher, like I cannot, I would not be able to settle with myself, somebody getting an extra base in a playoff game because of a time, you know, infraction. It just, it's not, baseball was never meant to be played on, you know, within a certain amount of time, it's innings, not quarters. So I like it for regular season to keep it up because I mean, these guys are playing 162 games. You don't want to be, especially if you're playing back to back, you don't want to be out there for five hours playing 15 innings. It's it, you don't want that as a baseball player, it just drains on you as a manager, it kills your bullpen. 
So I like the quick pace of play. I think it'll help starting pitchers stay in the game longer because they won't be having that long rest period where their arm wears, you know, gets tired and sore and kind of tightens up over time with those long innings. You're going to see guys throw more innings, but as long as it doesn't eke into the playoffs, I didn't look into whether it will or not, but I would say a good compromise is, okay, regular season, fine. Postseason, play the game as it was originally designed would be my two cents. Yeah, and especially, you know, in Philadelphia, right, where we just saw so many of the most dramatic experiences this past postseason. Bryce Harper walking up, Bedlam at the bank. The two, I'm getting, I'm getting chills just to think oh, about it. Great. He hits that opposite field home run against the Padres to give you the lead to send you to the World Series. Reese Hoskins gets in there, hits an absolute moonshot, bat spikes it. You know they got to be around the bases now. You don't have time to build up that that drama and anticipation and theatricals where it's just like, all right, we're in, grip it, rip it, go. And now it's a good thing for regular season games. You know, there's 162, but I agree with you when it comes to that playoffs, that's what made it so special. That those moments of just that, that slow motion, the crowds building, you feel it. Here it comes. Bang. And, and now we'll have to see where it moves going forward. I want to get your take on it here. It is a long season. The Phillies are come out struggling a little bit, get a big win last night. Putting up what fifteen, I believe. I win. Uh, yeah, the yeah, bats absolutely. finally get going against Sandy Alcantara of all guys. They're reigning NL Cy Young. They've had his number this past year now. Plus, hopefully that can keep going throughout this season. But it's good to see the bats finally get going. They're finally were able to drive in some runs. But you know, me and you and I, we text each. You know, they're not scoring tomorrow. And. <laughs> What's going to be the biggest (laughs) thing for this Phillies team where you've had, you know, Reese go down with the ACL. Bryce is going to be coming back in a month, maybe, or so from the Tommy John. Your biggest thing, right, has been that depth in the pitching with Ranger being out and not getting deep into ball games with Nola and Wheeler kind of struggling when it gets to that fourth, fifth, sixth inning. And then guys like Castellanos finally comes up with a bunch of big hits last night, right? And, uh, you know, guys like Schwarber had a couple solo shots to begin the year, but they've been struggling driving the guys in with uh, runners in scoring position. Where where can this team kind of thrive as we move forward throughout the year and push to when we finally start getting these guys back? Well, I, I think it's two things. I mean, yeah, you're missing in Harper and, and Hoskins. You're missing like 70 home runs. You're missing almost 200 RBIs. I mean, that's those are numbers that it's – yeah – sabermetrically, you know, you could say, okay, we can get close, but unfortunately Derek Hall is not Reese Hoskins. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm a big Hall they, guy. It stinks that he's out now too with the thumb, but and, and I, he wasn't going to be exactly Reese, but he could be, be close. Yeah. And JK was not Bryce Harper. So it, it's, it's sort of a, it's a different cast from what you're going to see when it matters, August, September, when they make their run. And I think, you know, for all intents and purposes, Harper taking the time to make sure he's right is important. There's no need to rush him back. Even if you're playing 500 baseball in May. Okay. Where were they in May last year? Not 500. Tell you that <laughs> much below. They were playing terribly. I would they're say bar- they were barely that going into the final month of the season. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, to me, how you play in April doesn't define how you're going to play in September. So I'm not too concerned about a slow start. I mean, it's a completely new team. 
Um, the batting order has been completely changed. You know, keep in mind, this is Rob Thompson's first full season as manager. You know, he's figuring out the ropes from start to finish. Um, but as I was watching the first series against Texas and even New York as well, leading into um, this homestand, it was just bad fundamental baseball. Um, guys, and I, I get that it's a little bit different not being able to shift, but if anything, you should be more comfortable because you're playing the position you've always played um, in the normal position. So it, it was interesting. I saw errors, atypical errors from Turner, um, just guys not making routine plays. And then hitting-wise, hitting base, base running was bad. And hitting-wise, like you said, situational hitting. You know, last year, that was the that was their calling card. If they needed to, they needed to move a guy over, it didn't matter who was up. He was going to move that guy over. They would Bryce Harper would lay a bunt down if it was needed. Um, yeah, I didn't see a lot of that to start out. And I know guys are swinging it. Uh, Alec Bohm specifically looks light years ahead of where he was last year. So he may fill Hoskins' shoes in offensive production. But going back to what I was saying with uh, the fundamentals of, of baseball, and I sound like such an old head when I say that, but it's important. If you look at the Astros, what do they do well? All the little things. And that's why they win year in and year out. Dusty Baker does a really good job of instilling those ideas with those guys. And Rob Thompson does the same thing. And, and it's nice to see that the Phillies have retained a majority of their coaching staff from last year. But they really need to work on sort of getting back to that mentality of, okay, last year was by – it was forced. You know, it was next man up. This year is going to have – you have to have the same mentality, even if you have everybody healthy. It doesn't matter if it's Trey Turner or Bryce Harper up. If there's a guy on second base and there's no outs, he's got to go to third. Um, and I just saw a lot of sort of taking taking too much of a swing when it wasn't needed. You mentioned Schwarber being one of those guys. Yeah, he's got a couple home runs, and that's his job. But he can do so much more. He doesn't have to worry about the shift anymore. Now he can yeah. he can just take a nice, easy swing yep. and lay a line drive out the right field. So there's it's going to be different. They're going to have to kind of re-figure out their roles and who's doing what. But just sort of cleaning it up a little bit. And as you mentioned with the pitching, I don't think that's that's typical of April baseball. Pitchers are not typically fully loose until June, to be honest with you. Everybody's on a pitch count until that point. I mean, Jacob DeGrom does not get shelled, and the Phillies made him look ridiculous. They shelled him in his first outing, you know, and he's the best pitcher in baseball, in my opinion. So I don't put too much stock in April pitching. I think it's everybody, everybody's in a working out process to figure out sort of what they need to do to get to hundred um, percent. Nola always figures it out. Wheeler, it's going to take a little bit of time. Um, but what I'm concerned about is not having that fourth and fifth starter locked in. Yeah. Last year it was Syndergaard that kind of helped them through the season. I think it's going to either be a, one of their prospects, McGarry or Abel or Andrew Painter, um, or it may just be another veteran that comes in and does the job. Yeah, but, I mean, but, Stram, uh, Stram, uh, Stram pitched. Well, they're going to need some help. <laughs> they're going to need some help. But um, I think if you if you look at if they're playing good competitive baseball in June, they're going to pick up another stud. They're going to get Harper back. They're not going to get Hoskins. But Harper alone is an absolute game changer. So I, I don't mind where they're at. I would like them to clean up sort of the little things, especially from guys that are not considered your major contributors. But if they can fix that, fix the ship, pitching rounds into form, they pick up a couple extra arms, they'll be good to go. Andrew, I want to thank you, brother. I think it was a lot of fun. I hope everybody out there enjoyed this episode. A little golf talk, a little baseball talk. You know, I'm going to be at the game today and tomorrow, Dollar Dog Night. Hit me up. 
Challenge me. I want the challenge so you can eat the hot dog the fastest at Dollar Dog Night. Go check out Philly Drinkers. Andrew, you got any Philly Drinkers yet? Yes, you did say yes. I didn't, get any mer- I didn't get the merch drop yet, dude. You got to yeah. ship some down to Florida. Oh, yeah. We'll work on that. Using promo code Brandon Petrelli. What is an episode without something going wrong? I hope everybody enjoyed that. Thank you, Andrew, for hopping on the show. Hope everybody enjoyed it a lot. Like I was saying, I'm going to be at the Phillies game today and tomorrow. Hit me up. It's going to be a lot of fun. Um, Go check out Philly Drinkers. Use promo code Brennan Petrilli for 10% off at checkout. Get some awesome shirts just like this. Um, The Fightins, baby. We're going to get more into it. The Sixers playoff push starts this weekend. We'll get into that also. Stay tuned. Hit that subscribe button. Going to be putting vlogs out uh, from the games this week. It's going to be a lot of fun. Let's get after it. Shout out 215. Go Birds. The Fightins, baby. Dinger Delphia. Dinger Delphia.